Ron and Anian. And I tell you what, sometimes you wonder, at least could they manufacture computers with hardware or with software in them that would sure make everybody's life easier. The Car Doctor. Is it running rough, Bob, when you say it doesn't run right? It idles beautiful. You could put a cup of coffee on on the engine and not get a ripple out of it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ronnie Nanny, the car doctor. Come on and sit down. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Again, 855-560-9900, the car doctor's 24-7 number. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. We'll solve your car problem. That's what this radio show is about and has been the past 25 or so plus years. More information at cardoctorshow.com. Links to the various sources and ways to podcast as well as from cardoctorshow.com. But if you choose to, you can get out to TuneIn, iHeart, or iTunes.com. Coming soon to Google Play. Hey, have you been reading the newspaper lately before I open up the phone lines? I was going through the want ads the other day, and I, I, I came across. It's interesting. It's You can learn a lot. So here's a local Chevy dealer that's advertising used cars. So you can buy a 2005 Chevy Aveo for five grand, and it says 2005 Chevy Aveo, 70,000 miles. A 70,000-mile 11-year-old car for five grand. 2007 Honda Accord for seven grand. You can get it. It's only got 120,000 miles on it. Seven grand for a 2009 Kia Spectra, 97,000 plus miles on it. A 2004 Toyota, think of how old that car is, a 2004. That's 11 going on 12 years old. It's got 100,000 miles on it, and they only want seven grand for it. In order to get up into something that has 50 and 60,000 miles on it, we're all the way up to, well, let's see, $13,000 for a 2010 Chevy Malibu with 60,000 miles on it is 13 grand. It kind of makes you wonder, so how do the young kids buy cars today? And and what do they buy? And what are they driving? And I just always think to myself, you know, kids, well, you know, as teenagers, we sort of, you know, we don't enjoy them as much for a variety of reasons. But as they get older, we kind of enjoy having them around. You know, teenage years are tough years for anybody that's had a few. And you just wonder, how do they go out and buy that? Where's that $500 car that we all had? the opportunity to purchase and drive and abuse and hand on to the next guy for 500 bucks when we were kids. doesn't seem to exist. You know, you start looking at the numbers and you start thinking, you know, you need you need 12 grand to buy a, a, a six-year-old car today. Who's got that kind of money at the age of 17? Makes you wonder what kids are driving. Like, I'm uh, just, just thinking as we uh, kick this hour of the car doctor off, just uh, take a look at what your kid's driving and uh, start to think about it and make sure if they are, um, put them in something with airbags and make sure they understand what seatbelts are. So just trying to say, let's keep our kids safe. Let's kick the garage doors open because we've got um, the phones are just backed up from what Fast Harry's telling me. And um, let's get some calls out of the way. Let's go over and talk to Alan in, I think that's Orangeburg, New York. Some questions about top-tier gas in a new car. Alan, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, yeah, sir. I was on Gas Buddy, and uh, I, I didn't think I ever noticed it before, but uh, some of the stations, they say this is this top-tier gas. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I clicked on it, and it, it comes up with a site that tells you that, you know, it's going to do this and that. It cleans the engine. 
I mean, is there anything to this thing? Oh, yeah. Top-tier gasoline has been around a good 10, 12 years. It was, it was formed back early 2002, 2003. What am I saying? Longer than that, right? And it's, it's really an issue that they're putting specific additives into the engine, into the fuel today, because there are issues with carbon deposits. And carbon is, big, is as big a problem, it seems, now as it ever was. Actually, it's worse in a lot of situations because of, of engine design and fuel injection delivery, direct injection engines. It's a problem, and it's something you've got to be aware of. Now, there are quite a few top-tier gasolines, and you know there's a lot of manufacturers that are. Shell is a top-tier gasoline. I know that for a fact. I believe ExxonMobil was added recently as a top-tier gasoline. But if you're buying a car and you're concerned about the performance, you're concerned about the maintenance, the long-term and the longevity of it. You know, this is a lease car, I, I, I see, Alan. Are you planning to keep the car long-term? Uh, well, I, was, I have a, a lease car that's, that's going to be running out, and I was thinking of buying a, a, a four-cylinder turbo, right. you know, a small car. Right. But <laughs> things have suddenly changed, and they, the bank is offering me uh, some reduction in the, you know, the buyout. And I, 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 this car is a... Uh, uh, 2013 Chrysler 200 with the Pentastar engine, under 8,000 miles, uh, debating what to do. Right. I would – I'm sorry, it's a what year that you're currently driving, Alan? A 2013. Right. And it's a, it's a Pentastar Chrysler 200. Right. Um, the car that you want to replace it with is going to be a what? Uh, I was thinking of a Cruze because, you know, it's easy on the pocketbook. Right. Right. Um, let me ask you this. What's tougher for you, fixed monthly payments or the unexpected repair bill? Uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, I guess the warranty running out, you know. Right, right. Because you are approaching the point where, and by definition of what it is, it's a machine, you, you know, you're going to start to do some maintenance on that 2013. So, you well, know, like I say, it's only got 8,000 miles. Well, but you're still you going to pull some maintenance on it. It's still yeah. going to, like you say, the warranty is up. You know, whether you're sitting in the chair or walking from here to the other side of the country, you're still aging, and so is that car. So, you know, at this point, it's a matter of economic sense. So what what gives you the most security? That 2013 Chrysler is worth X, or is that a lease car also? It's a lease. Okay. And what's the buyout? Uh, right now, the buyout is 13709 Okay, so it's $14,000. How much is the Chevy Cruze? Uh, probably about twenty two, twenty three. Okay, are you going to buy the cruise or lease it? Uh, lease it. Okay, and the lease payment is how much? Uh, I'm, I don't know yet. <laughs> I, I, I haven't really. I, I just went up to the dealer and I sat in the car and looked at it to see what it, you know it was like, and it's it's pretty nice, you know. Okay, so here's here's the way I'd look at it, and this is just me thinking real quick. If I've got to lay out fourteen thousand to buy that twenty thirteen Chrysler. What are the lease payments? What's the total cost going to be to own that Chevy for the next three years? If it's if it's fourteen thousand or less, I'd buy the Chevy, simply because it's fourteen thousand. You're going to have to pay out anyway, right? Yeah. So you've already paid that fourteen thousand. Unless I'm looking at this wrong. If to buy the Chevy, lease payments and downstroke is twelve grand. You save two grand leasing a car. Now, the question becomes, what are you going to do in three years when the lease is up? You know what? You'll make that decision then. You'll know better what your financial situation is. You'll know what kind of shape the cruise is in. Either way, you're going to have to buy something. You've got to lay money out. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if this was a question of buying a Toyota 
or a Chevy, I tell you to probably keep the Toyota. But this is a question of a Chrysler versus a GM. Right now, Chrysler, in my eyes, isn't one of the stronger car companies out there. And I don't know that I would work real hard to hang on to it because of that. What do you think of the Cruze? I think it's a good car. I like them. All right? Uh, You know, when when I I send people out looking at cars, GM is in the top five food group. Uh, You know, it's not my first choice anymore like it once was. But uh, I think I think GM is a better car than a Chrysler. I'll put it to you that way from what I'm seeing. And, and to me, one of the things I, I, I base that on, and then I'm going to go, is simply that I look at the car company. How do they allow people to work on the car? You know what? It's easy for me to get Ford information. It's easy for me to get Toyota information. Honda's gotten much better. GM's gotten much better. Chrysler still makes it difficult. They still have, from the numbers I saw as of Thursday when we last looked at this, the most expensive way to purchase a dealer-level scan tool of the top five that I always talk about. Now, why would I tell you to go out and buy a car that I can't get access to, that I can't get information on, that's difficult for me to deal with, that the parts I've experienced over the last two years, if I can get them, have gone up anywhere from 20 to 40%. doesn't make any sense. Chrysler's not the car. Not yet. They've got a long ways to go. How, how how about the stop start uh, technology? Any yeah, that's with that? that's you know what, and, and it's working, and I don't think I don't think that's something we can get away from, Alan. I really don't. As as much as I cringe at it myself, and it takes a little getting used to, unless you've got a car, unless you're going to go out and buy a car in the next six months, I think I think everything beginning 2017 or just about everything is going to be start stop technology, and that's just going to redefine a lot of things. So, but um, you know what? Change is good. Let's live it up. We're only here a short time. (laughs) All right, kiddo? Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Alan. Good luck to you. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Eating the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. That's the phone number, Cookie, 855-560-9900. I got to chuckle out of Tom Ray for that. He knows what I'm talking about. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Give the Car Doctor a call 24-7. It's there all the time. Wait, the words of wisdom from Tom. We're going to, uh, you know, do some service on that mouth of yours. Yeah. I understand it's new. It should be broken in it by now. It should be broken in by now. I got all the moves. So sound on radio is very important. It's not necessarily what sound, but it's very important. Speaking of sounds, let's go make some. Let's go and talk to Anthony, South Plainfield, New Jersey, 2011 Hyundai, and some questions about engine startup. Anthony, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hey. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Ron. What's going on? I have a 2011 Hyundai Equus. And about every three weeks, uh, I started and I get a big puff of smoke out the back and a knocking noise. Okay. Uh, can't seem to de- figure out what's going on with it. Is it is it that you start it every three weeks, Anthony? Or no. you're, you're you're using it all along, but just once in a while, every three weeks, you're getting this? Yeah. Okay. Um, can I ask you what brand of oil filters on the car? It's the uh, whatever the dealer uses. Okay. Well... And and I would assume it's original Hyundai. I mean, obviously, this doesn't sound promising. The reason I ask is Hyundai actually has a bulletin out there talking about the quality of oil filters. 
And I would imagine if the dealer's doing it, making sure that it's got, uh, um, uh, you know, they want an OE level, an OE spec oil filter on it. So that's that's my first thought, because I have seen some cases where, and not just because of this bulletin, this bulletin actually just highlights it. Um, I'm sorry, the bulletin number was 12EM006, if you wanted to read it. Um, right. It's a pretty short one-page bulletin, 12EM Edward Michael 006, and it just talks about doing an oil change, making sure you're using a good quality oil filter. And, you know, other than that, you can have engines start up and knock issues. So have you noticed this since the last oil change, or is it every oil change, or how often does it, you know, how long has it been going on? Well, it happens. Uh, it's been going on pretty much since the car was new. Okay. Um, and uh, they're used, uh, my question really is if I was to switch to synthetic oil, would that maybe help? No. And it, it, okay. it, but it wouldn't make any difference either. And and okay. and the answer, and, and actually, I take that back. The right the right answer is it couldn't hurt. Okay. All right, you know, there's there's nothing there that it could hurt. You know, the difference between conventional and synthetic is not that one's going to conceal a knock versus the other. Synthetic oil is a better grade of oil. All right. Okay. You, you know, you hear me talk about Pennzoil all the time. And right. I was talking about Pennzoil before Pennzoil was here in terms of what they've done. And Pennzoil currently has the top-rated synthetic on the market. You can read more at PennzoilSynthetics.com. And one of the things they did that was revolutionary, and I went to the big release when they talked about this in New York, I think it was two, maybe three years ago, is they start their base oil from a synthetic, nat- I'm sorry, from natural gas base stock. So, you know, natural gas is is such a clean element to start with, and that's where they make their synthetic oils from. They they, they chemically build it from there. So if you start clean, you finish cleaner, and that's what makes them stand out on everybody's shoulders. Now, that being said, using synthetic versus a conventional isn't going to be a detriment or a plus in terms of the knock and the blue smoke you're getting from the engine, all right? Okay. I'd be surprised if it fixed that. But the advantage you're going to see, especially using something like the Pennzoil, is that Pennzoil Synthetic also has a cleaning agent. So one of the pluses is that it will scrub pistons, rings, cylinder walls, any place where varnish deposits are going to be formed. And And I have to say it like this. Just because they're the dealer doesn't mean they're using the best top-rated oil. Yeah. I learned this a long time ago, and I'm not picking on dealers. A repair shop is only as good as the people in it and the people that run it and own it, all right? And okay. we, we all know there's some bad guys in there, and there's some good guys in there. You know what? I know some independent shops that I would feel comfortable having my stuff worked on, and I, there's some independent shops I wouldn't go in with a gun um, for fear of being robbed, and and that's just the way it is. But my my point is, you know, I would just... What kind of oil are they putting in it? All right. I only know it, it's uh, 520. Right. And then whose brand is it? Is it? Is I, it I, I don't know. You know, and I don't want to tell this story on air, but I'm going to anyway, like you know I will. I remember years ago, a uh, good eight, nine years ago, there was an issue with Volkswagens. It always comes back to Volkswagens, right? Volkswagen requires their oil to meet a certain specification. And we as an independent repair shop couldn't find that oil from anyone other than one national brand and one national vendor at the time. And I'm saying to myself, but who's Volkswagen using? And we called Volkswagen, the dealer, and we talked to the guys in parts, and they were just using a bulk product that 
didn't meet the spec. And I said, but how can you sell that? You're the dealer. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Nobody notices. So, you know, just because they're the dealer doesn't mean they're doing it right. They give you right. the illusion they're doing it right. You know, just because we have a president doesn't mean he's running the country in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because they're elected into office doesn't make them the be-all and end-all. We still have to check on them from time to time. So, right. you know, it's it's. I would switch to synthetic. I'd give it a shot. I have no problem using Pennzoil. If you're going to go to somebody outside the dealership and you want to try that for a change, get them to put a Wix filter on it. I know Wix filters are built to an original equipment spec. I know the quality okay. of a Wix filter. You can read more at wixfilters.com. All right? Okay. And then at least you've tried something different. You've baselined it now. Now you know with synthetic oil and a different filter or Wix filter, if you've still got the smoke issue... It's not oil filter related. The bulletin doesn't apply. It's going to continue to do it from now until the day you get rid of the car because it's done it that way since you bought it. Nothing nothing lost. Something ventured, something gained. All right. Well, I was more worried about the knocking than the, the smoke, but right. it goes away like after the car warms up. It almost right. sounds like piston slap, but it's a new car. Right. So. Well, and it, you know what? It might be varnish deposits. It might be a lifter tick. It might be a bunch of things. Pennzoil Synthetic will clean that up, and you'll be amazed at what it can do. All right. All right, I appreciate sir. It. Thank You're very you. welcome. Good luck to you. Take good care, Anthony. Well, and that's, you know, that's part of the issue, all right, that you've got to try something different. You know, I tried something different the other day. I had a I had a 2005 Jeep Grand Cherokee come into the shop. Well, actually, towed into the shop. It, um, uh, it was pushed into the shop, basically, from the curb. It had died. They had parked it at the house, went out to start it the next morning. No start. Didn't start. Brought it in. Went through the usual. Gee, you know, I think this computer's in lockup. No, yeah, maybe it is. Disconnected the battery cables, bled it down. I think I told this story last week, but I'm going to tell it again because it really made an impression on me. And after doing a bleed down and rebooting the computer, the car started up and ran fine. Does it need a computer? Technically, yeah, it went into logic lockup. But, you know, it's something that, Five years ago, we've never done. And cars are changing, and the technology is changing. And you've got to try different things. So you know what? If one oil's not working, if one repair shop's not working, and you talk to them and it doesn't get you anywhere, and, you know, I should have asked Anthony, did he ever go back to the dealer and consider talking to them and, you know, saying, hey, what do you guys think the problem is? You know what? It's time to look elsewhere. Don't be afraid of change. Change isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just takes effort and you know what? We get so focused on why we don't want to change, we lose sight of the fact that maybe changing is good. So just uh, just some point of contention. So, Anthony, good luck to you, and uh, let me know how that works out for you. You know where to find me. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on the meeting of the car doctor, 855-560-9900. We're going to speed things up a little bit. The phones are still backed up. Let's go over and talk to Pete. In the, is that Winsport, Connecticut? Yep. Windsor, Connecticut. Gotcha. Windsor, Connecticut. Windsor, Typo. Yep. Yeah, Pete, what's going on? Hey, Harry. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, taking my call. You're welcome. And um, uh, I have more of a complaint than I do uh, a question about a car. Okay, complaint department's open. What do you got? So many, so many people get into their cars and they take off. Uh, they don't even turn their headlights on. 
or the or the tail I remember the old days you used to get the car you had to pull out the button or uh or turn and turn the knob or something and your lights would turn on nowadays you get in the car your uh running lights turn on no tail lights and my concern is I drive a truck I drive a twenty six thousand pound vehicle when it's raining out um it's a gray kind of night they work nights um and many, many times I come up on people's behinds, and it's like, I don't even see you. I mean, if you turn your head, your, your tail lights on, that won't kill you. Right. I have pushed, uh, in the past, I was in an accident where uh, the guy stopped right in front of me. I had no chance to stop him, and I put his bumper at the back of his head, and they had to use jaws of life to get him out of the car. Wow. So my, my complaint is, I wish the car dealers would come up with a thing where the driver sits in the seat or a passenger sits in the seat, your taillights and your headlights turn on. Not You don't have to be pushing buttons anymore. It's like automatic. At least this way here, people will see you coming and going, and that's what you need this to, this to stop a lot of accidents and what have you, or possible accidents. And you so know what? That's my complaint. And, and you know what, Pete? I agree with you. However, I'm going to play devil's advocate. The problem with that is, in a sense, it still doesn't eliminate the idiot behind the wheel. Well, you know? that's true. And, and I think, true. and I think a lot of the problem with the way the, that accidents occur in the way is because people don't respect what a car can do. You know, they don't expect. You know, look at what your truck weighs. Your truck weighs twenty six thousand pounds. Pe- yeah. People don't realize that. You know, even in their cars, which are what. Uh, two tons, four thousand pounds, and six thousand pounds. Yep. You know, I was at a I was at a four way intersection this morning. The fella across from me was in a BMW. He made a right. The lady to my right didn't like the fact that she didn't let him go. She runs the stop sign from a rolling start. Starts riding him on the tail, blowing her horn, trying to. I don't know what she was trying to accomplish. Yeah, and the people. just yeah. you know, like like we're all in a hurry to get to the same place. You know what? A hundred years from now, we're all going to be in the same spot. It doesn't matter. All right, That's correct. we're it's, all in a hurry to go nowhere. We're all in a hurry to go nowhere, and we don't realize the danger in what we're doing. But it, it it also comes back to I think, and then I'm going to go that people don't respect the car enough to repair and maintain it. Can you, how correct. cheap? How cheap? You know the one I love. How cheap can you fix my brakes? I love that line, and I get it all week long sometimes. So, you know, they don't stop and think about what brakes are doing for them and how they keep them safe and me safe. Pete, stay on the line. I like your point of view. Harry, send Pete a Car Doctor T-shirt. Let's move on to our next person. Let's get over to Matt in Columbus, Ohio, 89 Ford Bronco. Hey, Matt, how can I help you run anything the Car Doctor at your service? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Ron. You're welcome, sir. What's going on? Okay, I got the Bronco, the high idle problem fixed, which you helped me with. Thanks a lot for that. You're welcome. Oh, what's, what's going now on my today? problem is it idles good at about 850 RPMs, mm-hmm. but for probably about two minutes, and then it starts surging really bad. Okay. Um, you did the idle relearn that we talked about? Yes. All right. Um, 89. Let's see. One of the things I would start to think about is, and is this is this every time, Matt? Can you reproduce this? Yes, every single time, and I'm not sure if, how important this is, but the engine that's in it has to be out of a later, probably a 93 to 96 because? F-150 or Bronco because of the firing order. I noticed it's different. 
than what it should be. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. Engine's an engine. So let's try and diagnose this. So my first question is, is the computer physically changing the idle speed by, by fluctuating the idle air control motor? or is there Yeah, some- it has to be because if, if I unplug the idle air, well, I'm sorry, if I unplug the throttle position sensor, then it, the idle goes up to about... 1500 RPM, yeah. the same thing with the map sensor. Well, but that's not valid because the computer is seeing that. Here's here's what's neat about an 89 Ford. This is an EEC 4 system, Electronic Engine yeah. Control 4. So this is EEC 4. What's neat about EEC 4 is EEC 4 has FAMEM, Failure Mode Effects Management. All right? Back in the 70s, Ford Engineering wrote the software, or Ford Aerospace wrote the engineering for Ford Engine Controls got to remember, this is the 70s. They didn't have the technology, and they didn't have the think tank to put this together. So Ford Aerospace wrote the software for EEC 1, 2, 3, and 4, and that's the way I've heard the story many times. Wow. And one of the things they put in there, what do they put on spaceships, Matt? They put, they put you know, redundancy, right? So it's yeah. got failure mode effects management. If it sees failure of a critical component, it will keep that vehicle running. That's why you go back to 1986, 87, Fords didn't even have check engine lights on their cars. They didn't put them right. in until the government mandated it around the middle of 89. So unplugging TPMS or TPS or, or, or MAP sensor, that's a critical sensor. What I would do is I'd unplug the idle air control motor. If you unplug the idle air control motor, then does the idle speed stay constant? If the idle speed is constant and it smooths out, then we know the computer is pulsing the idle air control motor. Now we've got to figure out why. And one of the it things... Dies. Okay, and can you restart it? it? Yeah, I I can restart it. It dies, and if I restart it, it will die again immediately. Okay, and I'm thinking possibly somebody tampered with the idle screw. Bingo, that's, that's where on I'm the throttle going. body. So here's what I'm I want. Sure here's here's what I want you to do. That throttle plate. Okay, back that throttle plate off. Put a voltmeter on the throttle position sensor. All right. I did, and I got 0.9 volts. Okay, 0.9. If you back that down, does it go down any further? I've backed it down to the point where the screw doesn't even touch it anymore. Okay, I'm not worried about the screw touching the plate. I'm worried about the blade touching the housing. At what point point does the TPS voltage stop? Probably before... Probably less than 0.6 volts. Okay, so 0.6. So let's call 0.6 closed throttle. You should be able to bring that up. Eh, make it 0.8. Give me a good number. Make it 0.8. Make it okay. po- make it 0.8. That should make the throttle plate just cracked just a touch. All right? Go through a relearn. You're going to have to disconnect the battery cables like I told you the last time. Yes. You, sh- you should be able to start that up as a warm engine with no load on it, no AC. And that vehicle should go into a base idle. If it doesn't, we've got to figure out why. Okay. And the the oxygen sensor, by the way, I unplugged it since the exhaust is completely rotted out. Do you think that would have anything to do with it? Oh, sure. You got to have all the components have to be there, Pete. You're gonna, uh, Matt. I'm sorry. You're gonna have to fix all that too. You can't fix okay. some of it. You're gonna have to fix all of it. All right. All right. I got to go. Call me back next week. Let me know how you make out. Take good care. I'm running Andy in the car, Doctor. Back right after this.
Hey, welcome back. We're on the the car doctor. We're going to have a marathon here. Let's roll it along. Tom, what do you got? Facebook post of the week. John Clemson uh, writes, I have a 2007 Mustang with the original battery. I bought a new Ford replacement battery, and I'm wondering how to replace it. Do I remove the old battery and install the new one like I would do in my 66 Mustang, or do I need to keep the car powered somehow? Good question. Yeah, good question. You know, keeping the car powered would be a good option, and we do it in the shop using a jump box going in through the OBD2 port, and we power everything up that way. The cigarette lighter adapters that you see being sold in the auto parts stores, I find don't really work, and I find them in some cases to cause more harm than good. So it would be nice if you could keep the car powered, John. If you can't, be aware you're going to have to run it and relearn some of the idle strategy. Fortunately for you, this is a 2007. If this was a later model Ford product, uh, 2010 and above, some of the pickup trucks, for example, and some of the later years across the board, you now have to register the battery. You have to use a scan tool to tell the onboard computer the battery was replaced so it can adapt its charging strategy properly and charge the battery at the correct specification. So yes, change it like you would on your 66 Mustang with the exception that you're going to have to relearn the idle strategy and possibly drive it down the road, quote unquote, normal, normal shifts to get it to operate by as it's supposed to. And it will pick up its own pattern from there on. But uh, just be aware of it. And by the way, if you're replacing the battery, hopefully you're using something good, something with power frame grid technology. Like the car doctor says, none better. Get out to powerframe.com. I want to throw that in. I figured why not? Let's go over and talk to James Trenton, Maine, 06 Dodge Ram, half ton truck with a Hemi misfire. James, welcome to the car doctor. What do you got? How you doing? Good. What's yeah, going on? Yeah, I got it. It misfires when it's cold. Um, every revolution of the motor. Okay. It clicks. It's a loud click in the in the valve frame. Do you own a vacuum? Or, do you own a Do you own a vacuum gauge, James? I don't have one though. No. Okay, you probably have a broken exhaust valve spring on the driver's side. Middle okay. middle cylinder. Very common. Take a vacuum gauge. Put a vacuum gauge on it if the needle's fluctuating. When it's cold, when it's misfiring, take a look at the valve train. Broken valve spring, broken rocker, uh, push rod issue. We see it all the time. Very big common problem on these particular engines. This sounds like a mechanical misfire, not something that is going to be solved by throwing spark plugs at it. If you want to verify that and work your way into it backwards, get a scan tool. Um, Do you happen to have a fault code? It's got a check engine light on, right? Yeah, it was just a PO306. Okay, so take the coil for six, move it to a different cylinder, take the plugs out, move them around. If it continues to stay on six, then you know this I is... Did that, and it does. And it stays on six, and this is a mechanical issue. I would I would look very hard and be prepared for a broken valve spring. Not uncommon. Not uncommon at all. Um, I, I, took the, I took the valve covers off and turned it over. Right. With the... Yeah, that's 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 not correct. What I would go through next is I would do a cylinder leak down test, cranking the engine around and see if it can hold pressure. And while it's doing that, push down on each valve spring, and you're going to find one that's collapsed or broken or or, or giving you an issue. Awesome. So so valve spring. Valve spring. Let's or valve spring. Valve train. Let's leave it there. But you're probably going to find a broken valve spring. Call me back. Tell me what I did. All right. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Let's get over to Lenny, Brooklyn, New York. Lenny, I got two minutes. What do you got? Yes, Lenny. I'm sorry. This is Ron. This is Lenny. Yeah. Uh, While working at a dealership, Monda dealership, I found, I just want to share some uh, war stories that happened to me. I love war stories. Uh, 2002, uh, Mazda 4J, we used to call them Fazda because Ford uh, owned a major part of it. Anyhow, uh, step one, the clutch, engine shuts off. No coach, no middle light on. Uh, it turned out to be that it was a casting on the engine block. 
that was machined correctly, incorrectly on the first watch of fall off. Wow. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the next day, uh, Mother told me a, a new block, block on my bench, put a new block on it. Goodbye. Let me ask. Uh, let me ask you. One. Let me ask you a question, Lenny. Yes. How come you're not fixing cars anymore? You seemed like you would have yeah. enjoyed it. Sixty-seven years old. I I I done my duty already. Yeah, you've I done your time. I play with it on the side. Oh, yeah, I understand. I understand. It, it, it was crazy. Some of the wild stories in the dealership, unbelievable, Ron. Yeah, listen, you call back. We'll talk about it on air when we have more time. I appreciate stories like this from the guys in the trenches. Lenny, you take good care. I'm running any of the car doctor. We're going to pull over and take a pause. I'm back right after this. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, we're saving the best for last this hour. Kurt Frederick, Maine, 2004 Dodge Durango, and some problems stuck in four-wheel drive. Kurt, that's okay if you want to go up the ski slope all the time, but probably bad news this time of year. What's going on? Uh, well, uh, I was coming back from town the other day, and my uh, service my service four-wheel drive, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, sure. Okay, and my service four-wheel drive light came on. Okay. And now it's stuck in four-wheel drive. So it was in two-wheel drive, and it just shifted. Well, it, 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 it's it, an all-wheel drive all the time. Okay, but it, 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 it just intermittently went into four-wheel drive lights on, and it's it, it stuck now in four-wheel drive. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Um, did you, or do you have the ability to pull fault codes? Well, the engine light is not on. Got nothing to do with and, it. Every computer on that. Do you know how many computers are on that car, Kurt? No, I don't. Probably in the neighborhood of about thirty-five. Wow. All right, and every system. See, and 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 that's a great comeback. The check engine light's not on. The check engine right. light has absolutely nothing to do with if there's fault codes in the four-wheel drive. If there's fault codes okay. in the air conditioning. If there's fault codes in the oh, might within the anti-theft. But my point is, and I think you get it. All diagnosis begins with a scan tool. Okay. And, and you know, one of the easiest things anybody can do today or any repair shop can do today, any well-equipped repair shop can do today, I have, to, I have to narrow that down a little bit more, is scan a car. Okay. And, and, and I mean, to the point that, you know, when cars come in now for oil changes, depending upon yeah. who it is and how much time we have, sometimes we'll throw a scan at it. You know, if if we know the history of the car and we know we're chasing something intermittent or perhaps it's someone that's looking for a level of care that's, you know, willing to pay for it, frankly, because the scan tools cost money, the software costs money, time is money. We'll, yeah. sc we'll scan cars at an oil change, do a printout, and stick it in their file. And seven months later, when that becomes a hard fault, that EVAP fault that we found pending or you know, that reoccurrence of a check engine light for whatever reason or a four-wheel drive issue, we'll scan the car. It's in the file. It's like going to the doctor, getting your blood pressure, heart rate, weight, color, your, you know, right. what is it? It's history. Um, okay. So first thing you've got to do is get that vehicle scanned. Now, here's what I'm looking for. 
I'm looking for, and I'm sort of half expecting to see a Charlie 1402. All right, a Charlie okay, four, if, a C1402 in that particular vehicle would tell me that we've probably got an issue with either the instrument cluster or the instrument cluster, you heard me right, or the front control module or the transfer case motor itself. So it's important to know what fault code it has. 1402s are common, 1404s are common, 1405. Got to know what fault code it is. We'll start the war from there. Either email me, ron at cardoctorshow.com, or call me back next week when you have that information. And don't go in with an OBD2 scanner. You've got to go in with Chrysler information looking for year, make, model, exact. Good luck to you, Kurt. Let me know what happens. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor, reminding all of you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.